Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Okay, so we've made all 160 picks, remarkably. I can't believe we actually got to the end. Um, So, uh, well, now that we've done it all, let's take a look back at the rosters. Who do we think's got the best roster? Who's got the worst roster? Who made the best picks? Who made the worst picks? Well, Brian, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, I think that you know everybody. One of the one of the trends that I picked out was some of you guys around like round twelve really started to get into like taking the announcers and stuff. And it'll be interesting to see in the voting if those picks come through as really being valuable picks, or if you know waiting till round twenty on Tony Schiavone paid off or not for me. Um, but I do think though that you know, and one of the strategies that I used draft wise was so. And of course, we could scoop each other when it comes to tag team partners. But I kind of gambled that nobody would do that because you and Kelly were on the ends. So you would take your team at once and then Chad would have his own thing. So like I took Scott Steiner and Shawn Michaels and and Axe early, pretty much like settling in that I would eventually have these tag teams. And then in between made like a bunch of other picks before I ended up picking up their second. Um, So instead of wasting back to back picks. um, One of the things I thought, Brad, is uh, like I'm looking at your pick 11 there. Okay, Axe. And yeah. then you you waited a couple of rounds before you picked up Smash, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I, my thought was, well, there's no point in taking Smash on his own either, is there? Just to screw you up. I mean, it screws it, it you would, over, it would, but it screws me over too. Right, right. So, um, again, too, you know, the draft was kind of an evolving thing. So, you're right. There really was no point. So, it seemed like once you took one of those guys, you could pretty much sit on him for a little bit. I, I panicked a little bit earlier for him because – you know, I could always use Scott Steiner or Shawn Michaels as a singles person if somebody tried to screw me over, but Axe would be a lot harder to pull that off with. So I waited two rounds and then took Smash in the 14th. And Chad, you also did, uh, you were also a bit cocky with your tag wrestlers. Uh, you'd waited a while before picking up, uh, you waited a hell of a long time. You picked Ricky Morton at round nine, and you didn't pick up Gibson until round 19. Yeah, yeah, that was the main. Uh, one because uh, I mean for me I definitely wanted to pick teams like I picked Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane back to back and that was a team I know I wanted to marry together uh, just based on what I had in mind for my super card but for somebody like Ricky Morton I think you could insert some other guys that I had on my roster too like Ron Garvin uh, maybe even like a Larry Sabisco or Paul Orndorff that would have worked as tag partners with him if I wanted to do that. Or also uh, Ricky Morton is a very good single st- uh, wrestler too. So him versus Eddie Gilbert in like a straight-up singles match or him versus Bret Hart in the singles match I think could have been uh, pretty good too. Speaking of tag wrestlers, uh, Kelly, you pretty much neglected the tag division entirely from what I can see. Did you pick up any teams? 
Uh, no, I, I made my own teams, <laughs> basically. Um, no, the, I, I hadn't planned that at all uh, going in. Um, not even in a rough draft. I didn't think of the Road Warriors or the Rockers. I don't know why. I just, I just it didn't occur to me. Um, I think I only booked one. No, I had two tag matches, but the second one came out just by fluke in the end with the guys that I ended up picking. So, so but uh, yeah. yeah. Were there any particular picks that any of you liked that anybody made, and was there any picks that any that you thought were terrible and i guess i'll 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 stick with you kelly what what do you think um well i'm not one to talk about terrible picks because yeah i got (laughs) attacked quite early i think uh what was the first one oh abdullah the butcher in round seven terrible and then yeah (laughs) kevin sullivan round nine probably could have waited a bit um Actually, I mean, the best pick of the night was obviously round 13, Jesse Ventura, of course. Um, <laughs> He's still but, rubbing it yeah. in. <laughs> I got it. Um, as for others, um, let's see. Um, Buddy Rose. I wanted Buddy Rose, Parv, so you snagged him uh, early, early-ish, I guess, round 17. That was nice. Um and then Chad got Jeff Jarrett in round 25. That was a, a nice pick for later. Yeah, there's quite a few, actually. I thought, that, I, for my part, I thought Chad picking up Dave Brown in round 31 was pretty good mm-hmm. business. Buzz Sawyer round 32, pretty good business. Um, in, in terms of picks, I don't care for. Tom Zenk at 18 is uh, <laughs> just woeful. <laughs> And uh, uh, in the booking, yeah, I and I kind of uh, Brad, like, yes. even though I think you had a pretty strong performance, all, all in all, um, Ultimate Warrior for Sid Five. Can you explain that? Yeah, so you know, kind of to your point when you were kind of laying out who you wanted your top faces to be, I went into this thinking, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, a new fertile ground for wrestling. So in 1990, did some really strong baby faces so you know flair would be baby face one in my in my storyline and warrior would be the second one he was pretty strong in uh in 1990 with that sid i really wanted as part of my uh, heel main event angle which we'll talk about a little bit later um but as i did point out chad did get me because mr perfect in round seven was probably my favorite pick of the draft and it was you know my own fault for uh for missing that one but uh yeah, Sid's actually going to have, you know, you guys have talked about him a lot on, on where the big boys play. He's certainly over, but he just doesn't know how to act, really, or, or perform. But I think as a heavy and kind of the third man of this this angle that I'm working, I think that I can use him. So I wanted to make sure I got him, similar to some of the other guys had, like, a plan. And for some reason, Sid was always in my plan. Right. And uh, uh, were there any other picks that you particularly liked or disliked? You know, I... I did a lot with tag teams as opposed to Kelly, but I, but you sat on them, Parv, and then you cleaned up later in the draft. It was like, it was like everybody took starting quarterbacks and you waited, and then like Haku and Barbarian, the twenty three twenty four turn, I thought was fantastic. A big fan of them, but at that point, I had too many teams where I didn't want to dilute things, and I had to start, you know, taking guys like uh, uh, Giante and and uh, 
Coco Beware and whatnot. But I really like those two picks from you and the aforementioned Mr. Perfect pick. And then uh, round 30, Eric Bischoff, I thought with Chad was really good. Um, well, yeah. it's 1990 Eric Bischoff, though. It's not like... <laughs> yeah, he has all that position flexibility that I was raving about. You know, you could slide him in anywhere you wanted. But uh, I thought that was pretty good. And then... Um, and actually, I like Matt Bourne a lot in round 31. I wish I would have taken him a little mm. bit earlier. Yeah, I, I mean, looking down, I think Chad arguably doesn't have any terrible picks. Like, I can't see any really, really, really bad picks from him. Um, I don't like my, I don't like my five, pick though. for... Uh, I, I don't... Well, Bobby was a reach, but... He is the linchpin to my angle, True. so I wanted to ensure him. And I, and even though I think Cornette and uh, Dangerously possibly could have worked in that system, I don't think it had been as good. Uh, but that one was a little early. But I look at the people after him, and I don't. I've, I've kind of looked at people through him, and I don't know who else I'd have picked. I mean, I might have picked like a Tolly Blanchard or somebody in that. Uh, but that seems a little early to me for Tolly, even though he's good. I actually think my worst pick was probably uh, Michael Hayes at round 15, just because I do like him as a color man, but I think I could have gone in some other directions and got somebody like uh, Bill Dundee or Steve Austin and then probably could have held off and got uh, Michael Hayes later on or even... Somebody, I mean, Bob Codwell, I don't think would have been a huge step down, and I got him really late, you know, like next to last round. What, what happened in round 21? Like, that—that that is a weird, weird, like, I picked Slick, you picked Percy Pringle, Brad picked Woman, and uh, <laughs> Kelly went with Gene Oakland. What happened there? I mean, it's a very odd round. Well, that was, uh, I mean, I knew I wanted Percy coming in, because I always had grander that i was going to do a memphis or texas stable but then when i also saw that uh taker was still on the board and i got him in round 17 i kind of on the fly was able to uh pick up percy pringle and did what i think's a pretty cool little booking angle that i'll share with later with him any uh, particular picks you liked or disliked chad from the whole draft? Uh, I did like Doom at 19 and 20. I yeah. thought that for being one of the top two or three tag teams in 1990. Uh, I thought that was a good snag kind of as a mid-round. And then let me see. I did like uh, for Brad as late as he got Brad Armstrong. Like round 34 for Brad Armstrong. I mean, that's somebody that's a utility yeah. player. But when you're asked to uh, fill out a super card that every wrestler has to be on, I mean, I know I struggled kind of later on with the Sato and Jimmy Garvin of the world, so like trying to find a spot for them. And I didn't really want to do a battle royal. So, uh, so getting somebody like Armstrong that you could plug into like an opening match or to put someone over, I thought was a. Uh, was very good and then for uh, kelly i thought bill dundee at round 15 was a good pick uh i mean he's somebody that's not like somebody i would have probably ranked as a tier one or tier two for this uh for this draft but if he went like anywhere after round 10 i wouldn't have batted an eye so 
uh, for him to go kind of five rounds afterwards, that was actually an oversight on my uh, on my department. And uh, but then again, like I don't know. I mean, I really wish I'd have taken him instead of Michael Hayes. Now, now here's here's a question. Okay, he, I noticed he took Elizabeth there. Kelly took Elizabeth, and obviously he had Savage. Would anybody else have actually taken Elizabeth if they didn't have Savage? Like, is she any worth on her own? Um, I mean, she could have been interesting, I think, with some guys. Like, her with Eddie Gilbert, I can see working. Because, uh, you know, he had Missy that worked, and she maybe sassed it up a little bit. But, uh, but I mean, it would have been much later. I wouldn't have taken her around. You, you, you could put her with Hogan. You could put it yeah. with uh, you could put it with Luger, Brad. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you're uh, right. But you know they were uh, involved. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, are there any real regrets that you have? Because I've got a couple of regrets. Even though my tag picks have been talked up as being quite good, um, I actually find myself really, really thin in the tag ranks in the end, and I like. I had envisaged having something like, I just thought, all right, it'll sort itself out. I'll have Midnight Express versus Rock and Rolls, or, you know, I'll have two decent teams there. But as you'll see, I've ended up having to turn Doom face and have Doom versus Haku and Barbarian on the basis that I've only got um, SST and the Bushwhackers below below those. So, um, like, I feel like my tag division is really weak. Uh, and that's my major regret for this, that I focused too much on the main event and ended up being light in the, both light in the tag ranks and also light in the uh, in the kind of IC division tanks where I could have had Perfect or Hart or Arn or Tully or uh, Tito even. And I let all of these guys go because I was focused on getting my uh, big horses together. <laughs> um, any regrets for you, Chad? Um, well, one thing I'd like to ask is how soon people would have drafted Heenan. I know you said you didn't factor in any manager's bars. Uh, I mean, that was, that was the one I was really worried about because coming in, I knew I wanted, I figured I'd get Lawler either with the three pick or the uh, six pick. And then I wanted him to be kind of a foal against somebody that I hadn't really seen. And I mean, he was great versus Jimmy Hart and the stuff from Memphis I've seen, so I really thought him versus Heenan would be a lot of fun. I, I can guarantee you, Chad, that I would have, um, as soon as Kelly picked Ventura, I would have panicked like hell, and just <laughs> I would have picked up Heenan then. Yeah, just, but just, see, that's all the way down at around 13. Uh, but but if, it, if it had been Ventura or Cornette, then I'd have been forced. I mean, I'm guessing Brad would have took Heenan before Cornette, or maybe not. Uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah. I, I don't think they were too far apart there for what, you know, for 1990. Yeah, I mean, Cornell was really good. Yeah. I was pretty much just going to let whatever managers fell into my lap. I wasn't going to take one too early. That was my plan. I yeah, guess, I, yeah, that was to me the biggest gamble, but I really thought he was kind of integral to what I wanted to focus on. You see, well, as you'll see when I go through my booking plan, the manager role in my storyline could really be anybody that's why i've gone with slick as my main manager because he i mean I'll, I'll be honest all he's really doing is taking a bribe off t- ted dbrc so yeah. you know this doesn't take a lot of skill to do obviously heenan would have been better in that role mm-hmm. but it's kind of like i'm not really leaning on heenan's skills there so 
Yeah, the only other thing for me is, um, I mean, I, lo- I love my top two guys in Hogan and Lawler, but beyond that, I will say it feels like I don't have uh, any guys kind of coming in that look like they'd be sort of bona fide main eventers. I mean, I think I have a lot of good kind of uh, semi-main event guys, but I'd have to do some work elevating like a Root or Wyndham or Perfect or even a Brett later on uh, to elevate them to where they could be main event status. Would everyone agree that Chad has got the most kind of PWO-ish roster? Yeah. I don't know, Kelly, Kelly started taking the PWO All-Stars. And they, uh... <laughs> yeah, I did. Um <laughs> But no, he's got he's he's definitely got the most worky. Well, I say that Brad, Brad has got Tully, Arn, and Flair. Yeah, Brad's is pretty uh, a mixture of like WWF nostalgia and wrestle crap, and then pure work rate. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you have like Gigante and Tugboat, but then like Honky Tonk Man. You have kind of like nostalgia acts like Beefcake, Honky, and Coco, and then you also have your uh, tag stalwarts, and then also uh, the big horsemen. Yeah, I, 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 Kelly's got hell of a like he's got Funk and Hanson. That's pretty good, no? Yeah, Ke- a lot of Kelly's roster to me feels like a 1984 card, though. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, that's, that's kind of my favorite. Area. <laughs> yeah, K- Kelly, was there any reason that you were collecting late seventies foreign heels? <laughs> Ivan Koloff, Ivan Sheik, and Nikolai Volkov. No, that was another. Those guys just were there, right? I didn't have any plans for them. Um, did, did you get Boris as well? Yeah, Boris. Oh, yeah. I did get Boris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, my la- the end of my draft was a parade of job guys, pretty much. <laughs> No, don't go calling a former world champion a jobber. Two former world champ, <laughs> two former world champions. <laughs> okay, after Sheik. Uh, well, no, <laughs> then there's Patera, Snuka. Okay, mm, Born. Well, Horowitz, Brawler, Poffo, Taylor. No, he's not a jobber. Hillbilly it, kind of became one. It, it's like you're booking like one of those slambery Battle of the Legends cards. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. Or the Heroes of Wrestling show. <laughs> one thing about Kelly, though, like like what I was saying about my roster and how I don't really feel like in 1990 terms, I don't have a lot of main event guys. Kelly really does. I mean, yeah, Savage that had a world title run by then. Funk, uh, you know, Hanson. Piper he was a big main event player. Dusty, of course. Martel had a main event run. Abdullah main evented all the time. And then, you know, on down the list, I mean, Greg Valentine, I mean, we're, you know, he's somebody that could be rehabilitated maybe And Tommy Rich and Bill Dundee. These are guys that did main event in a lot of areas. And if you're kind of working with a blank slate, uh, they are the type of guys that you could elevate and make them kind of seem... Uh, I guess less dated than maybe some of them are. I mean, somebody like Tommy Rich, I think you'd really have to work with. But you know, he was NWA World Champion, which you can call out. Now, one of the things that really concerns me about the top of my, uh, we're talking about main eventers, is that I was banking on getting Hogan or Savage, which was a pretty stupid given that I was going fourth. I ended up with Sting. Now, even though Sting was kind of breaking out in 1990, we'd all agree that I've got the worst of the main of like the main event faces, right? Uh, yeah, I think Sting was, uh, I mean, even somebody like if you'd have went Funk, if you could have went like Funk and DiBiase, 
I think I might have been more excited than Sting and DiBiase for me. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I really wanted it would have my angle would have worked better with a better babyface, I think. And I did consider switching up and putting Steamboat in that role, but I think Steamboat as a main event as a main event face for 1990 was done by then. Would you agree? I, would I agree. actually like Sting and DiBiase because that's a fresh matchup that never happened. Um, Hogan and DiBiase happened. Uh, well, Flair and DiBiase, not really. Yeah, well, 1980, uh, 1985, the face turn. Yeah, not and a feud, though. Yeah. Just one match. Uh, a Savage DiBiase obviously happened. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's new from that point of view, but I just it doesn't excite me either, Chad. Like, it's just because I'm down on Sting, I guess. But... <laughs> Um, like he's he just doesn't have the star power of the of the other guys there, and it's left me feeling like I have a lot of like I mean you talked about main eventers, Andre Earthquake and Bossman all main evented versus Hogan at some point or another, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. did Akeem sort of. Well, right. but one thing too, Earthquake at that time had not. Well, Earthquake like as the time we're drafting, so <laughs> that would be somebody you'd have to actually build up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, look at him, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, he can do it, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, coming in on, I mean, I can't say, like, oh, Van Vader, Al Van Vader, you know, because. Yeah. All right, well, any any further comments about the the rosters and the draft before we uh, actually share our cards here? I have one more question for the group. So, Andre went 13th overall to par. Mm -hmm. Chad, when would you have taken him? Very late. Um, God, 1990 Andre. I'd have taken him. I would probably have taken him before I'd have taken Jim Ross. But yeah, round 14 is probably the earliest. You would have taken Garvin over Andre in 1990? Yeah. I mean, Andre was a tag team match. He was a tag. He was a tag team champion, though. Right, but he was pretty much immobile. I mean, (laughs) Garvin still could show me in that Valentine Royal Rumble match that he could uh, could go a little bit. I would have taken Andre round eight, I think, because I took Cactus Jack. I wanted Andre. Uh, for that match. And yeah, I mean, for what Kelly was doing, where you could uh, hit him in a match yeah. like that, I, I think that has been fine. Yeah, well, I mean, you'll see. You'll see. I can. Uh, I think he's reasonably well protected in the format that I've got him in. Um, as well as as we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but my thinking, I'm thinking like a promoter here, not like a not like a kind of fan. Okay, so my my thinking is. Is that a uh, little little Sheik Junior there? He's gonna pop Andre Earthquake Bossman and Aki. Yeah, no, I I use the same you know thought process even laying out my cards, so that's a good point. And I mean, Chad, you know how much I hate the Row Warriors, right? But they're gonna pop any crowd. Oh yeah, I don't oh. have a problem with the Row. I mean, I guess to me with Andre, it's just like, I mean, I didn't go into this thinking I'm gonna make four four weeks of build and then the super card and. And that's it. And like for me with Andre, like if you can get him through the angle that you mapped out, great. You can hide him. But then you have the question of, you know, kind of what do you do with him then? Right. Okay. Well, the, the mega bucks, the mega bucks reform and uh, start dominating the tag division. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> All right. So, um, 
any any more comments here, or shall we uh, actually start looking at the at the booking sheets? Uh, I'm excited to look. Shall we start with you? I'm excited by Kelly because he's um, he's written it out like uh, like Graham's site, like history of WWE. Yeah, which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> has a venue, has a house. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was uh, particularly motivated this morning when I sat down <laughs> to do this, and the idea just came to me because I was thinking, oh, where, you know, what venue can I put it in? I think was the first thing I thought of. So I went to history at WWE to check out the possible venues. Then I thought, oh, um, may as well just do it like this. Um, so yeah. Um, this would be neat for, I guess, when this is posted on the Place to Be Nation site, we'll be able to, or the readers will be able to click on it and see the the card, right? Yeah. So I don't know if I want to, you know, run through it word for word because it's it's better to to see it in in the in the tribute to Graham version, <laughs> right? Um, so I'll just I'll kind of just run through the the card. And you've given us attendance figures here, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, and bonus marks if anyone can figure out where I took the that attendance from. It's from a actual supercard that happened. The exact uh, numbers in the spectrum. Uh, ding, ding, ding! Yes, it was in the spectrum. Hmm. Yeah, and close to the actual. I'm gonna date. guess uh, SummerSlam, SummerSlam ninety. Yeah. yeah, bingo! Yeah, it was yeah. SummerSlam ninety. And I picked July 27th because that's my birthday. That was oh, like, that's exactly. I'm looking at the actual cards on July 27th, 90, and these are very inspiring. They did three <laughs> shows that day, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Well, so this one trumps me. I, I love this. Televise on Prism Network featured Lance, <laughs> Lance Russell and Jesse Ventura on commentary. Gene Oakland conducted interviews with several wrestlers throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. I, I was too lazy to actually do, like, spots where Oakland interviews Ken Patera, Oakland interviews Bad News. So I just put that. The one thing I forgot to include was that uh, Gary Michael Capetta is my, uh, the commentary or the uh, ring announcer. announcer, ring announcer, and that um, Joey Morella is my uh, referee for every match, I guess. And that's really fitting because uh, Capetta did do the spectrum a lot, as we know. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. That was another thing that wasn't planned at all and just now here's something that's amazing and it'll be more amazing as he uh gives his card but actually uh on july 27 1990 at the la sports arena uh nikolai volkov did defeat boris zukov in a match (laughs) which is absolutely unbelievable because I was pretty sure they'd broken up by this point. I, I knew it was like right after WrestleMania six. I think they they split up. Yeah. So, so yeah. But the, again, that all just felt like I had no plans for Volkov, Zukov, Koloff, Sheik beforehand. And then it, mm. so I guess I'll start from the top and then run through it. Yeah. Um, should I do the, the winners and losers or just, sure. Just, just tell us what happened. What's the opener here? What's your thinking okay. behind it? So we're in Philly, so, you know, it's going to be a, a rough show with uh, a lot of violence. So the uh, curtain jerker right off the bat is a double Russian chain match with uh, Nikolai Volkov uh, reforming his uh, once uh, WWF Tag Team Championship team with the Iron Sheik to take on his former partner, Boris Zukov, and um, Uncle Ivan making um, a comeback here, being called in. Um, 
maybe this is part of your angle, uh, part with Koloff uh, years later <laughs> with the KGB and it, it's, it's keep, kept going or something from your uh, PWO uh, armchair booking thread. Yes. Anyway, so Volkov, of course, broke up, with, broke up with Zukov. And so he called in Sheik uh, to team with him, you know, an old friend. So you've got Iron, they, Iron Sheik is working face here. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> but this is Philly, so you know the crowd reactions are going to be back and forth. I, I really booked this card in a way that the heel fans can be satisfied and then the regular uh, fans can be satisfied too. So Volkov and Sheik against Koloff and Zukov, double Russian chain. Uh, if they've done a double Russian chain match before, I haven't seen it. Uh, or maybe there was a double dog collar match in ECW. But anyways, this is kind of unique. So anyways, this goes about 10 minutes, nothing fancy, uh, some blood, and it ends with Volkov pinning Zukov. So that uh, ends that feud, or at least, uh, you know, it's a good finish for Volkov, getting uh, uh, some revenge over his former partner. But after the match, Sheik, you know, turns on Volkov. Um, I'm not sure why, just because, you know, Sheik's kind of an unpredictable yeah. guy. Anyway, maybe stabs him in the chest with the Iranian flag. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then uh, of course, Zukov gets up and Sheik and Volk, uh, Zukov start beating down poor Nikolai. Ivan had left already in disgust after losing. Um, so he went backstage, but he, he makes a dramatic comeback, swinging the Russian chain over his head and <laughs> clears the ring of, uh, uh, Ivan, or of uh, Sheiky. <laughs> And Zukov, and then the big dramatic moment, um, Volkov and Koloff, maybe for the first time ever, embracing, and and impromptu take the mic and deliver a duet of the Soviet national anthem. Oh my god! That's booked as a baby face, so the Philly crowd are going to get behind this. Now. Oh yeah, yeah. Picture garbage. Well, of course you got to have garbage. Anytime he, he sang the anthem, you have to have garbage. So it's a really weird match. It's like a babyface heel back and forth. You know, it can be taken in, in multiple different ways. It's real artistic, experimental booking here. So next up, um, because I didn't plan this battle royal beforehand, I wound up with an odd man battle royal, nine man. I wanted at least ten, you know. Usually you have like a round number for or an even number for uh, a battle royal. But uh, anyways, it's a nine-man battle royal, not uh, particularly star-studded, but it's early on, early on in the show. Uh, we have Ken Batera, we have Hillbilly Jim, Brooklyn Brawler, Jumpin' Jim Powers, Barry Horowitz, Leaping Lanny Poffo, uh, The Red Rooster, Terry Taylor, Matt Bourne, and Jimmy Snuka. So anyways, it's a short, you know, battle royal, uh, seven minutes, 52 seconds. That might even be too long. But anyway, in the end, Patera, oh, I should mention, Patera comes to the ring uh, with blonde hair, dyed blonde hair for the first time since uh, he was incarcerated in 1985. So that was a, 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 like a symbolic thing at the beginning of the match. And uh, he eliminates Hillbilly Jim uh, for the final elimination. And then following the match, you know, this weird thing happens. Uh, Patera, you know, like unscheduled, grabs the, the microphone from Capetta and begins like delivering a shoot promo out of nowhere, you know, railing on Meltzer and all the other smart fans for not, you know, <laughs> considering him a good worker. And then suddenly the mic is cut off and uh, Patera just tosses the mic down, gives the fan the finger, gives the fan the middle finger, 
and leaves the ring. And uh, that would be Patera's final match. Uh, he never wrestled again <laughs> after that. Awesome. And uh, so maybe that, you know, if we could unearth that footage of that match, that might put him over the top for a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame <laughs> spot, hopefully, <laughs> 23 years later. And then next, um, this was a personal little pet match of mine, the Stampede Wrestling uh, tribute match. Uh, the promotion had closed down uh, at the end of 1989, so it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, there wasn't much nostalgia for it at this point. Um, actually, the only Stampede card I ever did get to see was a reunion show in 1992 that, that was uh, hosted or, or put together by uh, Bad News, Bad News <laughs> Allen, Bad News Brown. Um, yeah, it was the famous show. If you've read Jericho's book, uh, it was the show where Jericho met Chris Benoit for the first time backstage. It was that show. But I don't really remember too much about it at all. Anyway, so this one, quickly. Um, yeah, the crowd. Oh, it's uh, Bad News Brown, or he was introduced as Bad News Allen, because that was his stampede name. And Norman the Lunatic uh, was introduced as Muck and Sing, because that was his uh, name in Stampede. Uh, this match, you know, is, is turns south bad in a hurry. There's a boring chant in the fir- <laughs> after the first minute. Uh, they brawl into the crowd, and it's a double count out at 344. Uh, yeah, you know, the dead of them no, tonight. Now, Kelly, in Philly, who is the target audience for that Stampede uh, <laughs> tribute Ooh, show? Well, that's a good question. I mean, some of the, you know, Philly has that smart uh, crowd going, so a lot of them probably traded tapes and, and knew about these guys, knew about their past. You know, the guys in the front row, the hat guy and the sign guy, they would have they been... I was booking to the front row. I was booking to the hardcores for this match. And uh, so, yeah, this is a quick one that ends. And, uh, you know, the less said about it, the better. So next is, uh, okay, this card was probably like three main events. This will be the first of three main events. Um, The match a lot of people wanted to see, the lovely Miss Elizabeth um, taking on Sensational Sherry in a no-disqualification cat fight. Yeah. Um, So no rules. Um, Both. Uh, the lovely ladies are, are in full dress uh, dresses coming into the match. Um, it, it gets violent. Uh, Sherry brings out brass knuckles. Uh, the dresses are, are ripped off during the court of the heated act, course of the heated action. And um, uh, Sherry brings out the knuckles, but Liz steals them and hits Sherry with them and, and gets the pin to, uh, to a huge pop. <laughs> so that that was you know midway through the card a little um uh, women action you know uh it, it probably went over pretty well with the live sh- live crowd and then next another uh uh you know kind of big match it's a retirement match uh rick martell versus tom zinc the can-am connection <laughs> finally three years later we're getting um we're getting uh some payback here uh zinc as we know left Martel high and dry in 1987 uh, to take on the Islanders two on one for a month or two before Tito came to the rescue. So in this, Martel will be the face. Zinc will be the heel. Zinc would have been booed out of the building in Philly that night anyway, so that's no problem. And retirement match stipulations. Zinc submits to the Boston Crab. He's done. Career over. And <laughs> Martel <laughs> lives to fight another day. So you pick Zenk at 18 to end his career. That's pretty yeah, good. basically. Yeah, see, it was all planned. You know, I had it all planned out. Uh, you thought I was Is crazy. Is this uh, face versus face or Martel heel? 
Uh, Martel will be the face and Zinc will be the heel. See, I didn't, like uh, you guys, I didn't plan uh, you know, like weeks in advance sort of TV booking. Um, so basically, I'm not sure. I mean, this is all fantasy anyway. We'll just pretend yeah. this is how it was, right? Okay. So uh, next, the second main event um, in a steel cage. Um, on one side, we have Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, uh, and his two hired guns, especially... Uh, two guys he recruited just for this match, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and a young Cactus Jack um, with Oliver Humperdinck as his manager. I believe that, was that going on or am I making that up at the time in WCW? Um, he was, uh, uh, I can't remember when Dink went back to, um, can't remember when Dink started hanging out as uh, the Freebirds. Oh, it's, right, it's, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big Daddy something, right? Yeah, Big, yeah, big Daddy big, Dink. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, him and Jack, that seems like a natural combo. And they took on the heel monster mash team of Stan, the Lariat Hansen, Abdullah the Butcher, and the games master Kevin Sullivan with Gary Hart at ringside. So this sort of it was like a Dusty's personal vendetta match. You know, on taking on guys that he feuded with in the past, like Sullivan and, and Abby, and Gary Hart, of course, was always a thorn in, in Dusty's side. So uh, Dusty recruited Piper and Jack just for this match. You know, probably paid them to be on his team, so they didn't really have much loyalty to Dusty after the match ended. Um, the match ends after 24 minutes with uh, Rhodes pinning Sullivan, following a crossbody off the top rope. Um, all six men bled during the match. Total bloodbath. But after the match, as I said, Piper and Jack leave. Their their job is done. They're not paid to work overtime. So they leave Rhodes at the mercy of Hanson, Abdullah, Sullivan, and Hart, who proceed to break the Dream's leg, um, which is a callback to a couple of uh, Dusty's most famous uh, moments <laughs> in cages. And uh, Rhodes was out for eight months uh, after this. <laughs> and Dink, Dink was with Bam Bam. When he came back, okay, uh, that's yeah, and the yeah, Samoans. I knew it was one of the big guys. Yeah, he, yeah. he was the big Kahuna, right, with the Samoans. Right, right. And then to have a bridge or like a buffer in between main events, uh, the next match is uh, Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart in his corner and uh, Bill Dundee, superstar Bill Dundee, taking on Tito Santana, one of my all-time faves, and uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich in uh, sort of a best-of-the-80s uh, type match. Um, this one goes 16 minutes, 16.29, and in the end, Valentine pins Santana with his feet on the ropes, you know. Um, so that, that continues that feud, which will go on and on. And Kelly, is this meant to be like a trough in between two peaks here? Is that exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not stacking the card like the WWE seems to do too much these days, where it's one main event after the next. And, uh, you know, inevitably, one of the matches is heatless. Uh, <clears throat> Triple H's matches, usually. And um, so, yeah, I like the the traditional style where you have, like, a, a total sort of popcorn or a breather match or whatever you want to call it. Bathroom this break. is a good one, though. Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah, I shouldn't call it a bathroom break match because it would be an awesome match. Like, uh, these four guys are still... But it's a normal match yeah. between two gimmick matches, basically, is what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. Not a, Yeah, probably one of my lone uh, non-gimmick matches on the card. Anyway, so then the main event, uh, this was one I thought of quite early because I was thinking of matches that, that hadn't happened. 
um, before, or at least at this time, were unique. And as far as I know, Randy Savage versus Terry Funk, if it did happen, it's been lost to time somewhere along the lines, along the way. So anyway, this is a Texas death match between these two guys. You know, we could imagine this would be like an all-time great match with uh, these two guys working. Uh, sure. It goes 35 minutes, bloody, of course. And for my Texas death match rules, you have... Um, the winner uh, or the loser is the man who can't answer a 10 count. So in this, at the end, Savage gives Terry five straight elbow smashes from the top rope. And finally, Funk can't answer the 10 count after the fifth one. And uh, But after the bout, Savage himself passes out from blood loss. So you have both guys passed out in the ring, uh, covered in blood. Um, stretchers are brought out and, and both men are, are stretchered away. And then immediately following the match, uh, President Jack Tunney takes the mic and decrees that neither man would ever wrestle each other again. <laughs> oh, which was a tribute, of course, to, I believe, what he decreed after WrestleMania six with Hogan and Warrior. So there uh, you go. That's my card. A nice callback to uh, Savage Hogan as well there with the five elbow drops. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, what do you think of uh, Kelly's booking, guys? Brad and Chad? You know, I, I'm not as confident being from the Philadelphia area and attended numerous events and, of course, live there now um, in, right. in how his stampede will get over. But uh, <laughs> there definitely was enough blood and guts to uh, to certainly uh, satisfy the crowd's thirst. Yeah, I, I, it does really feel like a supercard as well, what you've booked there. Uh, you know, like they used to have those, uh, you know, one-off kind of like New Orleans spot show type thing. Yeah, if, that's kind got, of the vibe I was going. It's through. got the feeling of one of those. So, mm-hmm. did you did you like the uh, Kelly's card, Chad? Um, I, I mean, I think with the people he picked, he did a good card. I really like the uh, second half. I think the build from the uh, cage match from an angle crescendo to the. Uh, breathe down match and then to rev it back up for the uh, main event was very good the last three matches i i feel like he uh booked the opener as a personal gift to me so thank thank you <laughs> thank you very much yes. for that <laughs> all right but brad uh do you want to go with your uh with your booking sure absolutely so um my supercard is taking place in dubai in their twenty-five thousand seat cricket arena um so it is outdoors but uh pretty good crowd you know i felt that they have a 60,000 seater there that's a little bit too big for the gigantic soccer with the little ring in the in the middle there but uh so it's taking place there in the middle east uh my opener pre-show tag match to kind of warm the crowd up jim neidhart and coco beware versus shane douglas and brad armstrong so we talked about brad armstrong kind of being the good worker in there um so they have a back and forth match standard pre-show tag um neidhart looks great and douglas uh, who is playing the role of a, a young heel here, rolls up Coco with a fistful of tights. And that segues into the beginning of the show. Uh, and the honky-tonk man comes out first to run down the Middle East. Um, <laughs> no religious overtones or anything like that here. We'll try to keep it. And uh, Brutus Brutus Beefcake, who is super over, one of my top faces, um, uh, comes out. Uh, with his music hits and he runs down and smashes the honky tonk man in a, in a three minute squash and the crowd goes crazy to start the show off. Nice. Next up, we have the uh, you know we talked about a little earlier about the attractions, right? So for the Middle Eastern crowd here, the battle royal for ten thousand dollars in cash 
going back to you know the uh, late 80s, early 90s here. So it's enough to get these guys out of bed. So we got Tugboat, uh, Giante, Buzz Sawyer, the Samoan Savage, Dan Spivy, Johnny Ace, and Al Perez as the Shockmaster, as he was for that one time in 1990, in his Shockmaster gear. So I can say that I had the Shockmaster or in, in this uh, in this battle royal. Um, and uh, Giante is your winner, uh, eliminating Buzz Sawyer at the end after the other guys kind of... The Shockmaster or Black Scorpion? Actually, the Black Scorpion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Black Scorpion. That's what I meant. I, I, I said Shockmaster. You know, Black Scorpion. He played the Black Scorpion like one time in 1990, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah I do uh, find uh, Bell Perez dressed up as the Shockmaster now. Though, I know. Universe. When I read this earlier, I thought, wow, that's a bizarre touch to add to the current. I mean, you, 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 you could have the Shockmaster if you want to, Brad. You've got the right guy there. I, I know yeah, you're right. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know what? Him so, versus Al Perez in the Shockmaster shock gimmick match. Oh, that'd have been the all. winner gets to be the Shockmaster. Al Perez is the Shockmaster is incredible. Oh, my God. He probably so would have been able shot. to jump over the 2x4 board or whatever. <laughs> so, since I didn't book this as a one term one-time thing you know tugboat as the Shockmaster could still happen here but that is a, a good point so i had both those guys as the scorpion i apologize so pretty good attraction match there next up we have brian pillman teaming up with sean michaels and marty Jannetty, and they're taking on the texan team of chris adams steve austin and carrie von eric in an abu dhabi street fight <laughs> And the Texans are in their come-as-you-are gear, right, oh, as they would do in in, uh, in in Texas at the time with their jeans and uh, and vests and whatnot for well, a while. Well, for a... I will say, uh, just a quick antidote on that, Chris Adams and Steve Austin in 1990 did have a come-as-you-are fight, and Steve Austin dressed up as a football player, and Chris Adams oh. dressed up as a kung fu master. So that's <laughs> their come as they are. That's how they're dressing at home. <laughs> that's funny. And uh, so, but, you know, like this you know, yeah. Michaels and Janetti, of course, can brawl around. We saw you guys just recently talked about some of their work in the AWA, so they could certainly keep up here. And, uh, you know, while brawl. Some blood coming around from both sides, and eventually Pillman, who was positioned as one of my top five faces, um, you know, a little bit lower on the card for this event uh, because of some of the high flying stuff that he can do. Uh, he gets the pin on on Carrie Von Eric because we certainly want to keep Adams and Austin protected for some stuff down the line. So Carrie takes the fall in the Abu Dhabi street fight. Yeah, this one this looks very good. Yeah. Thank you. Next up, the Ultimate Warrior. Currently, the North American heavyweight champion takes on Bam Bam Bigelow with Jim Cornette. So Bigelow won Cornette services as part of the build-up to this match. Uh, Warrior, again, the super face for 1990. So while the crowd has some cool matches like the street fight for the other part of the crowd, and Kelly touched on this, and I tried to do the same thing. You know, they have their, you know, they're going to super cheer for the Warrior who wins this match uh, when Cornette hits Bam Bam by accident with his uh, tennis racket. Logical. I'd be I'd be interested to see if Bam Bam could get something decent out of the Warrior. I can I can see it, maybe. 
And maybe with Cornette on the outside, it adds yeah, enough. Yeah, Cornette would have to be a pesky four, I think. It, uh, one of the problems I see with that match is that Bam Bam kind of would... You're, you're kind of asking Bam Bam to bump around for Warrior, but for Bam Bam to look effective in a match, you need someone to bump around for him too. I can't see the Warrior doing that for anyone. True, so maybe Cornette comes in and takes a bump or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As part of that. Keep it short. Yeah, exactly. That one went five minutes, uh, maybe less. Next up, one of the one of the big stories uh, in my uh, promotion here. So we have Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard with Ole Anderson versus Jake Roberts and Sid with Evil Jim Hurd in a cage match <laughs> with Ole Anderson's managerial license on the line. Uh, here's some I of like, this story. That. It's good. That's very 1990. I have to give it the, yeah. ma- the managerial <laughs> license. Right. Yeah. So, and and we'll talk a little bit more of that backstory there, where that is the lead up to the main event. I did do some some weeks for that one, but that was it. So tornado tag rules here in the cage. No escape rules um, here during the match. Sid is passed a lead pipe from Evil Jim Hurd, and he cracks <laughs> Tully in the knee and power bombs Tully to get the win, and Tully is stretchered out after the match. And Ole is escorted out of the building. Is now his managerial license has been removed. Uh, so both of those guys are out for the rest of the event. Next up, uh, Scott and Rick Steiner take on Ash and Smash for the uh, World Tag Team Championship. It's a two out of three falls match, as was the uh, as they want as was want to do back at the, back in those days. Um, and I had uh, I had Demolition winning the titles here, and guys throwing a bunch of bombs with each other. And Rick Steiner takes the uh, the eventual fall here for Demolition to win those tag team titles. Yeah, that's got quite a nice dream match feel about it. That match, I think. Yeah, yeah. If both guys, if both teams wrong, that could be a lot of fun. All right, so that brings us to our main event, which is Ric Flair, the champion, uh, versus Lex Luger, of course, for the World Heavyweight Championship. So, in the lead up to this match, we had four weeks of television. Week one. Uh, Flair and the Horseman, which includes Tully, Arn, and Ole, and Woman, uh, introduce Rick as the, as the champion. Evil Jim Hurd announces that there will be a fatal four-way uh, to determine the number one contender between Lex Luger, Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, and the Ultimate Warrior. During this match, Sid comes out and wipes out the Warrior after the Warrior had previously gorilla-pressed Roberts to the outside, leaving Luger to power-slam Beefcake off a hot shot off the ropes to win the match and become the number one contender. Week two, during a Ric Flair promo with Woman, Roberts and Sid attack, taking out Woman in the process as she does a dramatic stretcher job. Luger is the first out to run off the heels with Arn and Tully close behind. Actually, I'm sorry, with Arn and Tully locked in their um, in their locker room. They weren't able to get out there, but Luger runs the heels off. Week three, Evil Jim Hurd books Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard against Jake Roberts and Sid in the cage match, in the, in the match that we just heard about with Ole's managerial license on the line. Uh, Ole and Jim Hurd exchange words there after Hurd runs down the horsemen uh, for their age and, and lack of ability, including Ric Flair. In week four, Flair and Luger do a big stare down in advance of the match. Flair respects Luger given their history, and Luger obliges the feeling is mutual. Um, the question, of course, from, from Tony Schiavone and Gordon Soley is, will Luger finally win the big one? Luger asks that they fight one-on-one, no horsemen, just man-to-man, and Flair agrees. And the program ends with Evil Jim Hurd blasting Flair from behind with a briefcase before Ole runs him off, with Roberts and Sid brawling to the back 
with with Arn and Tully to end the show. So that brings us to our main event. 25 minutes into the main event, Luger attempts a flying shoulder block, but Flair ducks and referee Randy Anderson. See, I worked my referee into the that we had to draft <laughs> to this. Nice. Randy Anderson and Luger spill to the outside and are out. Both Jake Roberts and Sid run down and destroy Flair. Arn Anderson comes out to assist, but they take him out with Flair still knocked out. Jake DDTs both guys, and Sid powerbombs Flair as they help Luger get back into the ring. With Anderson still out, Evil Jim Hurd runs down in a referee shirt because we only drafted one referee. <laughs> and, and he calls for the bell as Luger, who again, Roberts had helped get back in the ring, picks up the knocked out flare and puts him in the rack. Tony Schiavone can't believe what he's seen, and Gordon Soley is aghast at the events of the evening as Hurd, Luger, Jake, and Sid all celebrate with Arn and Flair trying to fight back um, before the Warrior runs out to even the odds and chases off the new champ and his cronies as, as Luger has signed a deal with evil Jim Hurt to finally win the championship. And that's your heel faction with the belt. Months of storylines drawn out last night at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, now, Chad, there's a few talking points here, I think. Uh, first of all, he's got a very prominent on-screen role for Jim Hurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second thing, he's asking Tully, as well as Arden and Flair, to work face here. Do you think this would work? Um, I... I... You know, I've always been a kind of weird proponent of Tully as a face. I do think it strangely could work. I'm less sure about Evil Jim Hurd <laughs> as the mastermind based on anything well, I've seen him do, but uh, <laughs> who knows? Um, it, it, uh, Brad, can I ask you, uh, has yes. any of the like the real-life beef between Flair and uh, Hurd uh, kind of fed into this? Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and that week yeah. three piece with uh, her skating promo um, on the Horseman and Flair, um, it certainly plays in. And that's why I, uh, I took Jim and think he could really what we'll find out down the road is, you know, Jake Roberts, really the true mastermind. But Hurd is uh, uh, competent enough to be able to run down with a referee shirt and, and do these type of things in the matches. And of course, the crowds absolutely hate Jim Hurd. I mean, he's a terrible character. So that helps Flair and the Horseman be face when you have Heard and Sid on one side, as well as uh, Jake Roberts at that time. so I, I'm quite impressed that nobody's tried to do an impression of him so far. That's I think, uh, yeah, I mean, if Heard would have had, like, Lex Luger with an earring, like what he wanted to do with Ric Flair, like if Lex Luger comes out with yeah. a haircut and an earring, that would be kind of <laughs> cool to play into real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, Kelly, what did you make of uh, Brad's booking here? Yeah, yeah, no, I like it, uh, especially considering, you know, Flair and Luger is a match that's been done a million times, but this is, you know, a different twist for sure on it. And I'm just picturing, like, Jake getting involved and the warrior running down. It's all in my head, and it seems like it would be it would be quite amazing to see. All right, Chad, do you want to uh, have a bash now at your uh, booking? Yeah, uh, now I actually did some kind of cliff notes of the TV, but I'm just going to run down my uh, super show and I'll give the background info on it. Uh, So it's going to be at the Omni, of course. And then uh, (laughs) then, um, I guess August 10th, so we can do the whole birthday theme. Uh, But uh, my first match is Bad Company versus a debut in Power and Glory. Uh, this is kind of a just an energetic opener. I kind of have the Rockers versus Power and Glory from uh, 
SummerSlam 1990 in mind. Uh, Bad Company would be a team throughout my TV that's, I mean, they're competent, but they're not picking up a ton of wins. Uh, and this would actually be Power and Glory's debut and actually the first appearance for Roma. So kind of a good uh, a good introduction to them as a team. And just a quick probably 8 to 10 minute opener to get the crowd going. Then uh, Paul Orndorff comes out. And in my last uh, show, there's been some interesting developments with Percy Pringle. Uh, he starts out in week one leading a Memphis slash Texas stable that's comprised of Eddie Gilbert, uh, Eric Embry, John Tatum, and then uh, Bob Orton Jr. I called it the Cowboys and Rednecks is the stable name. And uh, and uh, so he's manager, and as you'll see later on, he gets paid off by Bobby Heenan to basically beat up Lawler. And they have a big match in the uh, second week of TV, but Percy Pringle gets hit hit with a chair uh, during that match. And then the third week of TV starts with the uh, Cowboys and Rednecks stable talking about how uh, Pringle's been acting weird all week. He dyed his hair black. He's not wearing his flamboyant suits. And that he says he needs to find <laughs> his dark side. <laughs> So then uh, a week four, we actually get a vignette of Pringle kind of going to a, a funeral home and saying this is a part of his past. And, you know, this this is this is where he belongs and this is where he feels at home. And he invites anybody to come into his home at the uh, at the big supercard pay-per-view here. So this all sets up uh, Paul Orndorff, who's been kind of a fiery uh, baby face up to this point. He comes out and says, while he may not be the biggest person in the locker room, he doesn't back down from any challenge. Percy Pringle comes out uh, with an urn, with his black suit, a stark difference from his shiny jacket and blonde hair he had when he debuted, and then he announces his new charge, The Undertaker, uh, which would be the first appearance of either Mark Callis or The Undertaker. And this is, you know, a squash match with the Taker winning and sort of asserting himself within the company. Um, then my third match is uh, Larry Sabisco beating Mr. Saito in a fast-paced Power Man match, much like their uh, Dome Show match at the Tokyo Dome. The, the, there's not a ton storyline-wise deep with between these. They just sort of. They've just sort of kind of been interfering in each other's matches. Pretty basic build, but uh, but Sabisco wins kind of being the crafty babyface veteran that cheats uh, by outsmarting Saito. Then in my uh, main event for the first half slide, I have War Games. And War Games is comprised of the uh, aforementioned Cowboys and Rednecks table. And they are facing the team of uh, Jeff Jarrett and then uh, Ron Garvin, Dr. Death, and then who else, actually, I still forgot. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, Dr. Death, Ron Garvin, and uh, Bret Hart, Bret Hart. So uh, there's a lot that's kind of been brought into this with War Games. Uh, in the aforementioned uh, Week 2 match, that I've talked about, uh, John Tatum uh, gets beat up pretty bad in that match. It takes the fall, so he comes out in the third week and says he's a changed man that doesn't believe in violence and refuses to engage. He ends up forfeiting some matches in the build-up to this. 
but he's forced to be in this match, and throughout the match, he kind of acts like a uh, he acts like he's not going to engage. But then when a baby face is vulnerable, he'll end up like throwing them into the cage and being kind of a prick to them. Uh, and then my main thing with this is there's a little dissension between Gilbert and Embry at the finish, allowing Brett to pick up the victory for his team. And this will end up setting up because in my last uh, my last TV, Eddie Gilbert throws a fireball into, uh, or actually it's the third TV, he throws a fireball into Jerry Lawler's face. So this really sets up a lot of avenues of kind of Gilbert versus the world. It sets up a Brett versus Gilbert feud. Uh, you still have the hot angle with Gilbert versus Lawler coming off the fireball. And then down the line, it'll end up being the uh, Cowboys Rednecks disband, and it's Gilbert versus Embry and Cowboy Bob. So then that's my intermission. Uh, when we come back, uh, just sort of your outside of intermission matches, another kind of squash match with a new tag team, the Snowman and Tony Atlas. They'll squash uh, Saito and Jimmy Jam Garvin. And Snowman shows up on TV basically asking for a job, asking for a chance. And he's chased off and told no. And he ta- he brings up that he's been discriminated against and all this stuff. That's week two. So week three TV, he comes out again and he's about to get shooed off the stage. But before he does, Tony Atlas appears. And he says, you know, he can relate to somebody that's been kind of screwed over he's a former world tag team champion now you know they want to put him in these awful gimmicks called saba simba they want to sort of um you know bury him in the and not give him a chance to show that he still can be an effective wrestler and they kind of end this segment defiantly sort of shaking each other's hands and becoming you know a united force that parlays into week four when they again kind of rush the scene together, they're wearing matching outfits, uh, you know, are all together, and it creates sort of a riot sense. And they're also led by their new mouthpiece, Teddy Long. Uh, so he's their charge. And I want to, I want to come up with a cool name for him, but I don't, I don't really want to know, or don't have a good idea for him. But they're going to be a very dominant tag team, and they uh, start off here by. Uh, by uh, squashing Mr. Saito and uh, Jimmy Garvin. Actually, they could be in white tuxes coming out, Barb. I know you're a mark for that. How old is a snowman in 1990, Chad? I don't know how old snowman. He doesn't seem that old, actually. I mean, Tony Atlas is old, but... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very poor man's doom. Uh. <laughs> Not a poor man's doom. They'd be way better than doom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tony Atlas, I don't think, is any worse off. I mean, he's worse off probably than Butch Reed in the ring, but I, I can see it working. Then you have uh, Henning versus Rude for my IC title. Uh, there's an eight-man tournament that I do for the IC belt. This is the most work-rate heavy uh, match of the night, but this is uh, Henning kind of first shows his frustrations come in. Uh, and and Rick Rude's able to steal the victory, and he's your IC champion. Uh, did, did that match ever happen anywhere? Yes, that's, yes. that's kind of a dream match, isn't it? Hennig versus Rude. I don't think so. Yeah, I can't think of it right offhand. Maybe it did, but I mean, 
Well, Rude never had a spell in AWA during that time, did he? No. No. I, I don't think it would have happened, you know, because they were both heels in WF. So. I mean, it only would have happened... Didn't Henning come in as a babyface, like, at the very beginning, like, 1988? So it's possible in late 1988. It's... Be- yeah. It's but possible. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. It was once kind of teased um, in 89, 90, they, they, when they were both managed by Heenan. They had a few sort of mini like, confrontations where they were like, pushing each other a bit. I think once after a Survivor Series and then once after the Royal Rumble. So, and it looked like they were leading to something that never happened. No, that's just your typical dissension in the Heenan family. I angle. guess so. <laughs> yeah. But they did do it twice, so it seemed like there was something, but oh well. <laughs> So oh. then, um, so after that, kind of, that's like a, your classic wrestling type match. I have Barry Windham versus Vader in a brutal Texas death match. Uh, this is kind of mm-hmm. an out of control brawl all over the arena. And the way this is set up is the uh, very first show, the very first thing you see is Bobby Heenan coming out and announcing his new Heenan family. So he has Vader as kind of his enforcer or gatekeeper. He has the, uh, the the Midnight Express as his tag team champs. He has uh, Rick Root as his IC champ that's in the making. And then he has uh, who he says is going to be the future of the company, a blonde wrestler. He, I think you all know him. And he brings out Barry Windham. And Barry Windham's doing kind of his 89 cowboy horseman type uh, mannerisms and stuff. So Wendell ends up uh, facing Lawler in the main event of week two, and he gets laid out uh, by uh, by Hogan, which nobody thinks about. But then at the very end, where you see uh, the Hogan turn, he gets beat up by Vader, and they end up turning him. And that's a factor of Bobby Heenan just basically using Wendell to eliminate Lawler, and then once he'd done that, he uh, did away with him, and he actually, when he was talking about the blonde wrestler that was going to be the future of the company, he meant Hulk Hogan, because Hulk Hogan is wrestling, and so forth. So this is a revenge match for Wyndham, and Vader gives up a valiant fight, but Wyndham uh, eventually is able to win, like I said, I'm picturing kind of a defiant Magnum TA type look, you know, that he'll have on his face at the end of this match. Uh, then that leads into the semi main event, which is the Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express. Uh, pretty classic feud between these two, but there's a little caveat in this match that the loser is uh, has to leave the company immediately. Uh, so I'm picturing the WrestleWar 90 match with some of that stuff, and Nick Patrick is my referee. But I'm also picturing a little bit more of a sense of urgency given the ramifications and maybe some more viciousness from the Midnight Express. And uh, they can have Bobby Heenan kind of doing most of the cornet spots. And uh, in the biggest surprise, I think, on my Super Show, Ricky Morton actually takes the pinfall loss here, and he has to leave the company. Uh, which mainly I used as a vehicle to get over the Midnight Express and how uh, how serious business they are. And that leads into my main event, which is heel Hollywood Hogan versus face Jerry Lawler, uh, which uh, Hogan comes out at the beginning of week four, which I was actually really proud of that promo I wrote for him, so let me scroll <laughs> up on that. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. He comes out in the black and white and describes that he is a Hollywood star 
and that Lawler is just some Memphis local attraction in a mid-sized <laughs> town. Uh, Lawler tried to big-time him by declaring himself the king of wrestling, but Hulk is the king of the world. He then talks about how in Bobby's past, he never understood the logic of uh, Bobby trying to recruit him, but now he does, and that he only has a few people he can trust in this new upstart company to keep his position as the top guy in wrestling. And the older he gets, the more he has to rely on the mental advantage, which is where the brain comes in. And now he can be one step ahead of his opponents. <laughs> I can actually uh, imagine Hogan saying that as well. Yeah. So yeah. this is, uh, so this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say this is going to be a five star classic or anything, but I think these two in this type of arena with a molten crowd can definitely provide a satisfying main event. And uh, Hogan actually wins with the help of uh, Bobby the Brain and then a surprising Eric Bischoff, uh, leaving the King kind of searching for deeper depths, which Eric Bischoff, that doesn't kind of come out of left field because he kind of been popping in announcing matches that on the uh, surface level sort of feel like they would... uh, be advantageous for the baby faces but when you look at the results of the matches he ends up making it always comes out in favor of a bobby stable so now you kind of have the uh, evil man in charge to uh hulk hogan and bobby the brain along with the dominant tag team and the ic champion and uh, this long term i have it very long term kind of leading into a uh, hogan versus barry windham sort of eventual blow-off match where Barry Wyndham becomes like the guy and essentially like my Stone Cold Steve Austin down the road. So, uh, Kelly, what do you make of Chad's uh, booking here? Wow, uh, that's pretty hard to top, man. That's <laughs> that's awesome. Really detailed, too. Uh, but, I like it, yeah. Any thoughts from you, Brad? I really like the uh, the promo. You really took it to another level there by writing this out. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And he did do the four weeks of TV, so but that'll all be on place to be nation.com. Well, I have some criticisms. <laughs> I have some criticisms, uh, Chad. Uh, and there are three criticisms, okay? Okay. Criticism number one: you booked the Undertaker before the Undertaker, which I feel is, uh, <laughs> which I feel is uh, neat, given that you got Percy Pringle, and I like the way you did it. But um, you still like, and then. <laughs> To make matters worse, you booked Hollywood Hogan before Hollywood Hogan, so it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, I can see, I like, I, I do like the way that you executed those these things, but you know, you, 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 you've, you've, you've gone in for the booking of the things before they happen, and then, um, the only other uh, criticism I've got, and I did, I did uh, actually like this. To be, to be fair, I'm just uh, playing around with you, <laughs> is that um. I thought that uh, you sent a lot of heels over on the show. Yeah, yeah. That was one thing I wrestled with. I actually messaged Brad today when I was talking about it, whether I wanted to... Uh... The, the two I wrestled with is I wanted to either... I, I thought about switching it where Henning won and then uh, Hogan still won or switching that where Rude won and then Lawler won. But uh, I, I didn't want to damage Hogan because I do think the biggest money in my uh, promotion is Hogan at the top and somebody eclipsing him, which is why I say like eventually my long term is to build up 
you know, somebody like uh, my 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 vision is Barry Windham will be that guy eventually to build him up as kind of a lone wolf, uh, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin template wrestler to where instead of, you know, Sting kind of in the eventual angle that we saw in 97, Sting kind of phony around. And once you got to the actual match, you didn't really feel like Hogan kind of received his receipt for everything. I really wanted to have like a bruising baby face that would take it to him. Uh, So that was kind of why I went there. And then then you'd have to spend about six months trying to talk Hogan into actually putting Wyndham over. (laughs) Well, that'd be his only job. I mean, I actually did make my next pay-per-view, which would be, uh, real quickly, uh, Lawler versus Gilbert in the blow-off to that feud. Lawler gets a big win. Snowman and Atlas versus Dr. Death and Orndorff, which would be another big win for Snowman and Atlas. (laughs) Uh, Hart, Hart versus Rude in your IC title work great match Rude retains Vader versus Ron Garvin Vader picks up probably his uh, biggest win of his career up to that point Taker versus Robert Gibson Taker squash and then the uh, Midnight Express versus Henning and Wyndham in a big upset Henning and Wyndham win the tag titles and then uh, Hogan versus Abisco is kind of your uh, secondary challenger to Hogan but uh, Hogan ends up winning Great. I, I have one thing, Chad, real quick. I This is one of the comments I forgot to put it in part. Is 1990 Bret Hart in a War Games match was interesting to imagine. Yeah, he was the guy that I really... He was, he was the toughest guy, honestly, for me to slot. I could have switched him and Henning. But I really want to build Henning. Uh, you know, I did show that he kind of starts letting his frustrations get the best of him. And eventually with Henning down the road, you are going to get a uh, AWA reversal where Zabisco will eventually give him the roll of quarters in a big key match. Uh, he'll use it probably to win the Intercontinental title, and then uh, they'll both essentially turn heel in that match. All, all right, well, sh- shall I uh, go through my uh, card? I actually feel like I've got the least detailed booking now, <laughs> weirdly. Um, but, uh, I don't mind the least detailed because I didn't even do the booking. <laughs> I didn't realize until just now I was looking back at the original invite that um, a four-week uh Booking period was uh, part of the whole deal. Whoops. Well, in your defense, Kelly, we changed that rule when we were trying to determine how long we wanted this to go. So, um, <laughs> okay. And Chad's just showing off so he can win the poll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slow work day. I feel, Slow work day. I feel like Chad is going for the cheap attitude era votes. That's why I feel like he's going for. <laughs> Where is it? In what way? Hulk Hogan? <laughs> by by booking... Uh, well, you're going for those Monday Night War votes by booking Hollywood Hogan in 1990. Yeah, I, nobody, nobody says the uh, attitude like Jerry Lawler is your top baby fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, so I'll just... Um, so what I've done is uh, I've got my... My card only has five matches on it. <laughs> um, so, But each of them have got like a four-week lead-in, okay? So I'll start with the bottom of the card. Um, so basically every week, uh, week one, Buddy Rose comes out and he claims that he's the battle Royal King. Okay. And, uh, obviously Buddy Rose in 1990 is quite kind of fat and there's a 
bit of a joke, right? So um, this is a bit of a kind of underneath comedy angle. So he's claiming to be the Battle Royal King uh, week one. Then week two, there's like some sort of random jobber match. SD Jones versus Jack Victory, you know, something really inconsequential. Buddy Rose comes out and interferes and he throws both men over the top rope to demonstrate his battle royal skills, right? He's good at throwing men over the top rope. (laughs) Um, Next week, week three, uh, Buddy Rose does the same thing. This time it's Ranger Ross versus the Dragon Master. And uh, Buddy Rose throws both men over the top rope, claims to be the battle royal king. (laughs) And then week four, uh, no match this time. He just comes out and cuts another brief promo about how he's so good at battle royals. And then... The payoff to all of this, <laughs> rather disappointingly, uh, at the pay-per-view, which is, uh, I've called it Titans Will Clash, and I guess um, I should call it uh, what, MSG 20,000, something like that. Um, and uh, there's a battle royal um, for the title of King of the Battle Royal, and uh, it's a real kind of jobber fest. Jack Victory, SD Jones, Dragon Master, Samu, Fatu... Bushwhackers, Warlord, Dino Bravo, Virgil, Mike Rotunda, Billy Joe Travis, uh, Buddy Rose, and JYD. And, uh, of course, Rose and JYD are the final two. And uh, JYD wins by putting Rose over, who's obviously upset that he's not the, really the king of the Battle Royal. And uh, another one bites the dust plays, and uh, everybody's happy for JYD to get another shot of glory here. <laughs> so... The next uh, match on the card are the tag title. So the tag title pictures, um, basically, what, what have I done here? Um, there's, a, there's a tournament in Rio, um, and obviously um, Doom as faces, Butch Reed and uh, Ron Simmons as faces, are fresh from winning the uh, titles in Rio, and they come out to celebrate in the ring. But the heel team, uh, Haku and the Barbarian, being managed by Mr. Fuji, are outraged uh, that they didn't get a shot at these titles or whatever, and they attack them as they're celebrating. That's week one. Uh, In week two, uh, we just have a match building the heels here. Haku and the Barbarian defeat the Bushwhackers, and then Doom cut a promo uh, on Haku and the Barbarian. And then in week three... This is really formulaic booking, I'm afraid. Uh, Doom go over the uh, Samoan SWAT team in a successful title defense. And Mr. Fuji uh, cuts an awful promo on uh, the uh, on Doom with Haku and the Barbarian in the background. Um, in week four, we've got uh, just kind of generic spot promos hyping the matchup. And then on the pay-per-view itself, Haku and the Barbarian defeat Doom for the titles after Fuji uses the cane. So um, I'm afraid this is particularly... The undercard is quite uninspired, I'll admit. Um, So the secondary title, I call it the US title. Um, The uh, Paulie Dangerously has been uh, appointed as, you know, the big authority figure here. He's the president of this new um, Titans Wrestling Federation. And uh, he announces that there's going to be a 16-man tournament for this title. Um, and I, I've written out the brackets here. It's not tremendously interesting. Um, Bulldog vs. Uh, goes over Dino Bravo. Uh, so all of these matches happen on, on week one, which is essentially devoted to this tournament. 
And then we get like various matches between. Uh, I won't read them all out because it's uh, pretty tiresome. Um, but the main thing to note is that uh, Samu and Fatu are drawn together in this tournament, and uh, because they're tag partners, they don't want to fight. So that match is a draw. <coughs> um, and then Virgil and Ricky Steamboat have a match, which goes to a double DQ because uh, Ted DiBiase inter- interferes um, with various shenanigans. So that match is a draw, which means the winner of um, uh, which means there's a there's a kind of buy in that particular leg of the tournament. Um, so Billy Joe Travis beats Mr. Fuji, who's um, quietly pulling double D to here. I hope nobody notices. And um, <laughs> Great Muta defeats SD Jones in uh, what has got to be one of the worst um, opening rounds of any tournament of all time. Um, but the, the upshot, I won't go through each of the brackets, but the upshot is that uh, Muta effectively receives a bye to the final after his next match. Um, and he ends up facing Bulldog in the final at the pay-per-view. And uh, Bulldog beats Muta clean to win the, the US title. Okay. Uh, then, is, is that it? Okay. So now basically the rest of the card is devoted, the rest of the booking is devoted to the main event and the semi-main match and the two kind of angles are interfused so in week one uh poorly dangerously like i mentioned is um is going to be a very fair president of uh titans wrestling federation um dbrc is uh ted dbrc uh is uh, announced by paulie um and is basically just handed the world belt um and clearly poorly dangerously has just been paid off uh outright uh, for this privilege sting um is very annoyed at this and immediately comes out he feels that he should have at least had a shot at the title and now he wants to face uh, dbrc in a match dbrc laughs and he says that title shots are for winners only and sting would have to pay at least uh a hundred thousand pounds uh hundred thousand dollars sorry or what's the D- dubai currency <laughs> um hundred thousand dollars for the privilege of a title shot uh, to show that he's not a loser Sting is fired up and is obviously going to refuse to pay this sort of money. Um, later on in the show, we see uh, DBRC uh, in a quiet corner somewhere, paying off Slick, uh, who's got Andre and uh, Earthquake behind him. Um, then Sting has a match against Akeem, uh, also being managed by Slick, it should be noted. Um, and during this match, Andre and Earthquake run in and beat down Sting. Um, it's a pretty nasty beatdown. They they use uh, kind of weapons and big butt splashes and you know the type of you can imagine an earthquake and Andre beating someone up, right? And uh, to add insult to injury, Ted stuffs a hundred dollar bill down uh, Sting's throat and laughs. <laughs> uh, week two, um, in a kind of some symmetry here, we we see Ted uh, in another quiet corner paying off Slick again, uh, who this time has Bossman and Akeem behind him. And then in his first world title defense, uh, DBRC takes on Ricky Steamboat and um, Slick, Bossman and Akeem are at ringside. During the match, they constantly cheat. Um, and this cheating is just outrageous. You know, they, they every time uh, Steamboat goes to the ropes, they trip him up. It's just off the scale cheating. Slick is up on the apron all the time, distracting the ref. It's just, just out of control. Bossman's using the nightstick. Um, during all of this, uh, stuff going on. Andre and Earthquake come out as well, and uh, 
eventually all four big fat heels charge the ring and just beat the crap out of a steamboat as DiBiase kind of like sits on a turnbuckle and laughs. Um, DiBiase then stuffs a hundred dollar bill down Steamboat's throat as well, um, forcing a bandaged up sting to, to make a run in now to try to make the stay even in this injured state. Uh, obviously plucky underdog sting here. Um, Ted, uh, seeing Sting, runs away, but uh, Sting is able to hit a Stinger splash on Virgil, but the four big heels pounce on him. We get a four-on-one beefy beatdown here, uh, which leaves um, Sting and Steamboat bloodied and knocked out in the middle of the ring. Okay, so pretty... uh... So we're going into week three. Ted taking on all comers here. Uh, Anybody but Sting, basically. Uh, He takes on Jim Duggan in his next title defense. And he comes out to the ring, if you can picture this, with Slick, Virgil, Andre, Earthquake, Bossman, and Akeem. He's basically coming out with an army of hired hired guns here. Um, okay. And there's no, like, during this match, there's no pretense at all of uh, this being a fair fight. Um, every, basically, just from the opening bell, all of the heels are cheating outrageously. It's just off the charts. And eventually, uh, Ted, and this is after about, like, one minute or something, Ted just says, fuck it, and decks the ref. They all pile in for like a seven-on-one beatdown of Jim Duggan. Um, but this time, Steamboat and Sting are back, and they've got uh, the Row Warriors with them, which uh, hopefully would get a big pop. Um, and they run in, and obviously uh, Ted, Bales, and uh, even the big beefy uh, heels here don't really want to have a fight with uh, with the Row Warriors, so somehow uh, all, of, all of the heels bail. Um uh, which takes us into the week just before the uh, pay-per-view. And uh, this is the bit I was unsure about with making Paul E my authority figure. He announces that enough is enough, that DBRC is now going to have to put up his title against uh, Sting in a cage match. And I don't know how we'd play this. I guess maybe uh, the actual Sheik himself <laughs> is going to have to put like pressure on Paul E. Like, he's going to lose his job unless he does something. We'd have, we'd have to work it so that this is actually a selfish move by Paul E. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense, right? Um, so then, uh, we're going to get DBRC versus Sting in a cage for the, for the title. And also there's going to be a war games, Earthquake, Andre, Bossman, and Akeem taking on Steamboat, Duggan, and the Row Warriors, uh, war game style. Um, and then we just get some quick matches to, to build up the various sides here. So Andre goes over SD Jones in a squash, Row Warriors over the SSTs in a squash, Bossman over Aki, uh, Bossman and Akeem over the Bushwhackers in a squash, Sting over Earthquake, um, with Ted at ringside, who's trying to interfere but gets himself nailed with the foreign uh, object and uh, somehow like botches it for Earthquake as well. So um, Sting's getting a win going into the finals there. Um, basically, everybody apart from Earthquake is getting a win there to build them up for the big matches, um, and uh, pretty much we get the War Games. Uh, and if you can imagine the dynamics of this uh, war games, you've, there's a lot of beef there on the heel side, you know, four massive guys. Um, so, and, you know, Steamboat's not a big guy. Duggan is like, you know, he's beefy, but he's not that that big, right? And the, even the Royal Warriors are out kind of sized and muscled here. So this would have to be worked as a kind of, like, they're up against it, but it's going to be, like, the commentators would have to talk up... Um, this being a case of kind of strategy and stamina and speed and stuff like that, overcoming the, the sheer kind of brute force of the of the heel side. Um, 
Uh, Andre would obviously go in last to protect him a little bit, and uh, basically the the faces go over um, in the end somehow. It would be bloody and uh, brutal and uh, and fat. Um, and then in the uh, in the final in the main event, um, Sting would defeat Ted DiBiase uh, in a cage match for the world title. And uh, well, this is a bit of wishful thinking, but hopefully uh, Ted can drag a pretty good match out of Sting there. So um, again, that would be pretty bloody. What I haven't thought about is how I'd work with the cage dynamics with the war games and a cage match. Right. Uh, maybe that final match would have to be in the war game style. Um, that would make it more interesting, I guess, over two rings. Um, but they, you know, so there, there we are. That's my booking. Any, any thoughts? Be kind. <laughs> well, you, you were the only one that thought of doing a tournament. So when you talk about doing four, four weeks of TV and stuff, everybody loves a tournament. So, uh, thought you did a nice job with your mid Carters there and had some fun matches. And, um, we had two war games between the four of us and, um, think everybody have a cage maybe not kelly but uh yeah i had a cage yeah yeah okay so um yeah no, i thought that was good and i actually like the sting baby face i know you personally don't like it but i think that actually he fits really well in that in uh playing under the bullying ted dibiase and his guys there so that would do well for the crowd parv any uh, any thoughts, Kelly? I mean, you've seen my Ivan Koloff stuff. You may be spotting a theme here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, like I said earlier, I like the idea of Sting and DiBiase um, and the way you booked it with the the gang going against Sting. And yeah, I liked it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened with uh, where you get like four massive guys all to, all together there as a as like team beef? Can anybody remember a time where? You've had that many fat guys in a row. <laughs> kind of um, the original Survivor Series heel team for the main event was similar with Andre, Bundy, One Man Gang, and then who else was on that team? Rick Rude and Butch yeah. Reed, I think. That's but probably, the top three, at least, were the, the big guys. It's pr- probably the closest, isn't it, that, 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 that team? So there we are. So you, you've shared all our ideas. Now you can uh, decide which one you like the best. Who's got the best roster? Who had the best booking? <laughs> Any final thoughts here, Chad, before you go? Uh, no, but I'm very happy that we uh, made it to show 50. And thank you for everybody that's listened to one of these shows and gave us feedback. Yeah, and if you want to leave, leave us feedback, obviously the obvious places to go is to PWO. Or you can go to Twitter, hashtag, hashtag, Justin Rosero, hashtag, dot com. I, I, don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how it works. <laughs> there, there's some Twitter thing, and uh, I guess you can uh, look up chat on Facebook as well. So Yeah. Get, get in touch with us. And uh, Kelly and Brad, thank you very much. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, thanks. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts, And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.